The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am honored to welcome my guest, Dr. Andrew Welton. He is a professor of civil engineering and environmental and ecological engineering at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana. Dr. Welton and his team investigate and work to solve problems that affect our natural and built environments. His expertise focuses on environmental chemistry and engineering, disasters, polymer science, water quality, infrastructure, and public health. He has two decades worth of experience responding to disasters and doing investigative research about their harm to the environment and public health. I became aware of Dr. Welton's work while investigating soil and water contamination related to the recent Norfolk Southern train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, which led to a chemical spill and the purposeful burning of vinyl chloride, a known carcinogen. Other hazardous chemicals involved in the spill included butyl acrylate, ethylene glycol, and more. I thought his insights would be helpful to all of us in understanding environmental health risks following environmental disasters. Dr. Welton has most recently returned from Maui, where he investigated environmental conditions following the tragic fire in Lahaina. He also investigated contamination of the Elk River and tap water in West Virginia, the Marshall Fire in Colorado, and the Camp Fire in California. Welcome, Dr. Welton. Thanks for having me. I'm curious to know how you became interested in researching environmental disasters. Well, when I was in college, I was trying to find my way into a field that was exciting and where I could contribute. And I found myself thinking about water and water safety, which led me to working for the U.S. Army for three and a half years. And there I realized that when disasters and big incidents occur, many people don't necessarily have the information needed to make the best decision. And so that turned me towards helping get information to help communities after disasters. Well, you have now two decades worth of experience, and I'm sure you've seen a lot. I'm curious to know about how you decided to travel to East Palestine. I understand this was volunteer work that you did. East Palestine, Ohio is seven hours from Purdue. Did the university support this work? So the university supports generally what I do because we go to help people understand what's happening from a data perspective and then make recommendations for agencies and people to improve their lives and health. So the university did support that and they generally support the type of activities that we have done in the past. Coming back from Maui, we had some money, but not enough to get there. So we went anyways. And then the University of Hawaii and Maui County government then saw the value in our contributions and then was able to bring us in to help them. I see. All right. Well, let's focus on East Palestine first, and then we'll talk about Maui and some of the other fire-related disasters that you've seen. 
I'm especially concerned about soil and water because those most directly affect food and, of course, water being our most important nutrient. So why don't you give us a recap of what happened specifically with regard to the train derailment, what the cars were carrying, and what chemicals were involved? So on February 3rd of this year, uh, Norfolk Southern train derailed in East Palestine, Ohio. And with it, several rail cars that were containing hazardous materials, as well as chemicals that were declared non-hazardous, but are acutely toxic when you're exposed to them, started leaking. And that resulted in an evacuation for the community that ultimately impacted all the way to Pennsylvania. And there was a number of subsequent decisions that resulted in the further spread and distribution of chemicals from the train, but also from setting the hazardous materials on fire and allowing the pollution to then spread out over multiple states. I know you presented in March of 2023 to a Senate committee that was looking specifically at emergency preparedness. There was some concern about who made this decision to burn these additional cars and what that decision was based on. Was it based on clearing the tracks so profits could go ahead and be made versus the health and safety of the community? I don't know if that was ever settled. Yeah, it's unclear to me. Uh, We do know from public omissions by the US EPA that, first of all, they're charged with protecting public health, safety, and the welfare of the people in the environment, as well as the state-level agencies. And they were in the room when the decision was made by Norfolk Southern to light their hazardous materials on fire. And my understanding is that there were no concerns expressed by either agencies in support of the people that it would impact. How did you feel about that? Well, initially after the disaster, there's a lot of confusion about who made the decision to burn the materials, what materials were burned, what type of risks assessment was conducted to determine what type of harm that would cause. And even today, there's remains some ambiguity. From my perspective, I generally get involved with the consequence of a disaster, not necessarily should you light hazardous material cars on fire. And so many of the consequences of that decision could have been minimized if the public health representatives and officials had taken more decisive action to protect the people in the environment from harm. Right. So you went into the environment. Did you have a list of known chemicals that you were looking for? We surmised from what was publicly disclosed by the EPA that there were a number of different chemicals that Norfolk Southern had released into the environment. We did not fully understand the scope of it, but publicly the government agencies had assured everybody that they had everything under control, they knew what was released, and they were monitoring it. When we initially got involved, our sole purpose was to simply go to drinking water wells to take water samples near the contaminated creeks and estimate whether or not those had become contaminated. But when we arrived, we realized that there was a lot more that we needed to look at and drinking water was going to take a backseat. 
So the people in East Palestine were told relatively quickly that everything was fine. And I believe it was Governor DeWine that drank a glass of water from the community and said, see, everything's fine. And yet that wasn't the experience of the people living in the community. Do you want to talk about what you saw and what you experienced yourself from being in that area? Well, with regards to the uh, photo op that uh, U.S. EPA Administrator Reagan and Governor DeWine did in an affected home drinking water during the disaster, that is reminiscent of what happened in Flint. And so right. if you remember, uh, there are people toasting water, praising the water in Flint, only to find out later on that it had hazardous waste levels of lead in it. And so clearly the events that happened in Flint didn't really sink in to the public communications officials that were involved with the Norfolk Southern disaster. And it seems like they placed these public officials in situations that didn't necessarily match up with what was actually happening on the ground. Right. Okay, so there are certain symptoms that seem to be reported consistently. Things like nausea, headaches, skin rashes, asthma, nosebleeds. You too got sick. What was your experience? So when we arrived three weeks after the chemical spill in East Palestine, we were shocked at the scale of contamination that was still visibly floating around in the creeks outside the U.S. EPA's, quote, containment zone. And I was not aware what that material was, but EPA had assured everybody that there were no acute health risks, that everything was under control. Over the next couple of days, we took samples of this contamination in the creeks and elsewhere, and uh, I started getting a headache, which I don't get headaches. And then it, it kind of got more intense, more intense, and then it stayed for a couple of days. So we had we had left East Palestine. We came back to Purdue to start processing the samples. And once the headache subsided, I was pretty taken aback because it was hard for me to rectify that much of the information that I was told wasn't true and that there were other people in the community who were also, when we were there, saying that they were experiencing these symptoms and nobody was believing them. Yeah. And Norfolk Southern set up some health centers where people could go. But it was my understanding in just reading some transcripts from the people who lived there that even the medical providers didn't know what they were dealing with and how to help. And that's the case that we saw, too, talking with health officials who were there. And even some of the medical professionals were impacted by the spill and their families were exposed because they live nearby and they were upset that they weren't getting information to help themselves and their patients. So there was just a, a complete lack of public health leadership after this disaster to protect people from harm. And it actually goes back to telling people that there was no chemical health risk and they should go back in their homes when testing wasn't done correctly. I am so concerned about especially vulnerable populations. So I'm concerned about pregnant women. I'm concerned about children and what kind of acute and then chronic long-term effects exposure to this soup of chemicals might result in. What are your thoughts? 
So we met with many households during our visit and learned about their experiences. And many of them had children who they told us had experienced some of the symptoms that you mentioned previously. And that was not easy to hear because as somebody who's who cares about the people and has a family themselves, I cannot imagine what type of thoughts go through your mind when a child or, you know, parent goes through this experience that you can't explain. So there was, as I mentioned, just a, a failure of protecting the public from harm that happened after this disaster. And this is something that I continue to worry about as the resources haven't been yet dedicated to address the situation. Yeah. Well, when you first visited, and I understand you have been to East Palestine six times, is that right? Yes. Okay. Each time that you go, I understand that you have collected water, you've looked at soil, you've also taken a look at bees, but what did you find in the water and soil that would be of a concern? When we went for the first time, we kind of changed course when we arrived, as I mentioned, because it turns out that contamination was widespread. It was in the creeks, visible. It was in the creek sediment. It was on the ground. And so we engaged a number of experts at Purdue to help us start screening the water samples and soil samples for contaminants. We also compared the government agency's own testing data to one another. So the U.S. EPA was testing the air for some things. The Ohio EPA was testing the surface water, the creeks for some things. And then they were testing drinking water, too. And it turns out that some of the chemicals that were spilled or released in the fire, they actually weren't testing for. So when we did testing, we tested for everything. And uh, we started finding chemicals in places that they hadn't looked and at levels that they were not seeing. Is there a place where people can go to see what your results are? Yeah, we have a, a website set up at Purdue University called plumbingsafety.org. Okay. And if you go to plumbingsafety.org, there is a link right on the front page there that links to the Ohio, Pennsylvania chemical spill public health response. So if you click on that link, we posted basically all of our letters and discoveries so far online there, and you can just download them directly. Okay. So people are able to see exactly what you have found in the water and in the soil. Is that correct? On that webpage, we've been posting the presentations for the water. Some of our colleagues are still analyzing the soil. Okay. Let me take one break because we are halfway through and I just want to remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio and we are speaking today with Dr. Andrew Welton. He is a professor of civil engineering and environmental and ecological engineering at Purdue University and he has been investigating disasters for two decades or more and we are talking specifically right now about the train derailment in East Palestine, but we will be moving on to other disasters, including fires in Colorado, California, and most recently Maui. I have to ask about the soil, Dr. Welton, because this is a low-income community. These are people who probably have a hard time making ends meet. 
And one of the things that we do in public health is we recommend that if they can, people have gardens so that they can help boost their intake of the kinds of foods that I recommend to prevent cancer and heart disease, fruits and vegetables. And the first thing I thought of was this incident happened in February. Of course, my immediate thought went to water because we drink it and need it every day. And then I thought, okay, March, April, May, people are going to be thinking about getting into their gardens and planting food. And I would be concerned about this dust that seemed to settle around the community and what might get into the soil. But you don't have results yet back from soil testing? No, we don't. Uh, Ohio State University did testing of some soils on farms around the area for certain chemicals, and they did not find high levels of contamination in those farms. We know that the soil would be most contaminated closest to the derailment or chemical spill chemical fire site. And the farther you get away, the less likely the the levels would be detectable. Okay. Now, you've also tested beehives. Tell me how that happened and what did you find? So that's an interesting story because I never in my life planned to test anything with beehives. And while we're in the area one of the trips, I got a call from an apiary and they had asked if I wouldn't mind coming out and inspecting their property. So we had gone out and they had, I believe, one or two million bees die. The smoke and the chemicals from the the site actually went over their property. And they were concerned about their honey that was in the hives. And so we sampled their hives with them. We brought it back to Purdue and we chemically analyzed the honey. And what did you find? Thankfully, we didn't find any of the VOCs that we look for associated with the chemical spill. So what can also happen sometimes with VOCs is that they can sorb to things, but then because they're so light, they jump into the air again. So they wouldn't necessarily stay in the food. And VOC stands for? VOCs would be volatile organic compounds. These are small carbon-based chemicals that because they're so small, they don't like to be on surfaces or on soil. They like to be in the air. I want to know your thoughts about water today. You've gone back six times, and I'm assuming you've taken repeated tests of the water. What are you finding? Well, there's a creek that runs along the railroad tracks in downtown East Palestine, and that is still heavily contaminated. Initially, when we went back in February, there was multiple phases. So there was so much chemical present that you could see it. It wasn't all dissolved in the water. Today, a lot of that chemical has settled to the bottom of the creeks. And if you stick a stick into the mud, it will all come up to the surface and you can smell it sometimes. So closest to the derailment site, the, the waterways are still heavily contaminated and officials need to clean them up expeditiously and thoroughly so that they don't pose a long-term risk to people that want to use those waterways. And have there been warnings not to eat fish out of the creeks? I know there was a big fish kill. Yeah, I haven't seen a warning about not to eat fish. I think there was some warnings from the state telling people if they saw anything to call them and they would send the wildlife officials out to investigate. 
Mm. Now, one of the things that you had mentioned in the Senate committee was that you were surprised that there were no access controls near the creeks. So people were walking their dogs. Children seemed to be naturally attracted to creek water, but there was no warning for people to stay away from that water. Yeah, there was there was no warning. And in addition to that, the EPA oversaw Norfolk Southern setting up water fountains in the middle of the creeks where they blew the contaminated water into the air in an effort to strip out the chemicals that are toxic and put them into the air, remove them from the creeks. And so you would walk by and you would smell it and sometimes your eyes would burn and there was no access controls. And, and that really, really concerned me. Why haven't those been instated? Well, OSHA, I believe, fined Norfolk Southern for not instituting access controls to the hazardous areas. Really, if the party that's responsible for the disaster doesn't do anything, it is then incumbent upon those agencies at the federal level and state level to act in the public's interest. So if it doesn't happen, then that means that those agencies are not necessarily protecting the public. And that's what we saw uh, in some cases in East Palestine. Mm. What else do you want people to know about this disaster at this point in time? Well, in East Palestine and the surrounding areas, they were impacted by something that no community should ever go through. And it's not just people, it's children, it's families. And they have every right to ask all the questions they want about safety and demand transparency from those organizations showing up, telling them everything's okay when they don't necessarily have the data to say that. So what we need to take from this is that the way that these communities got answers to some of their questions is that they organized. Moms talked to moms, talked to dads, talked to school superintendents. They came together and then directed their energy and questions at government agencies to work in their best interest. So what we've seen good come out of East Palestine is that the people of East Palestine and the surrounding area have organized themselves in a way to get the government agencies to respond to them and to change course in what they're doing. Well, I did read that the EPA has invoked a Response Compensation and Liability Act, and I'm curious to know how far that's going to go into the future. But it basically requires Norfolk Southern to clean up the area, which Mr. Shaw promised to do. But here we are with so much still wrong and nothing happening. Well, the federal laws that are sometimes invoked for hazardous waste, hazardous material disasters, such as CERCLA, they can allow the sites to exist for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. So the invocation of that just implies authority to compel a principal responsible party, somebody who caused it, who's still present, to clean it up. What we saw in, in these Palestine and surrounding areas, though, is that these public agencies, these state agencies and, and federal agencies, have to do more to protect people from harm. And that would likely include imposing restrictions and demands upon the principal responsible party to remove acute health risks or these immediate health risks to children and the people much faster than this long-term recovery. Right. And in case I didn't make it clear, Mr. Shaw is the chief executive officer of Norfolk Southern. 
and I will provide a link to the Senate testimony in which you presented your findings and in which Norfolk Southern appeared to commit that everything would be okay or made right. So we will need to be paying attention closely and hold people accountable. I don't want to let you go without talking about your last work involving the Maui fire. What did you find there with regard to water safety and how soon do you think that area will recover? So unlike other disasters that I have supported in Maui, water is part of culture and it is not only important for recreation, but also for livestock and farming. And that is readily apparent when you talk to different communities, including the Hawaiian community, who was very much directly impacted by the fires. And so water is very important. And that you will see in the next several months will be a key focus and driver of what actions are taken to help the communities impacted by the fires. And do you find water quality and safety to be an issue also in the other locations you visited following fires? Yes. Water can become contaminated when ash and debris run off into streams and lakes. In Maui, for example, they have ash and debris right on the coast and their stormwater drains drain right into the ocean and there's coral reefs like right off the ocean. So there's there's concerns there, just like you would see elsewhere. For drinking water, you also see concerns after fires when entire cities burn up, like Paradise, California, or part of Boulder, you know, Louisville, Colorado. And so this can contaminate the water in the pipes in the middle of the street. So you don't necessarily have to have the forests burn up. The water can get contaminated right in the neighborhood. And then that's a concern as to finding it, protecting people from harm, and then removing that threat. All right. So if people want to follow your research into East Palestine, they can go to www.plumbingsafety.org. What about following up for some of the fire disasters, Maui, as well as Colorado, California, et cetera? So we post much of our information on that Purdue University website at plumbingsafety.org. Okay. Is there anything else you want to say to our listeners when it comes to these environmental disasters and contamination of the very substances and compounds that keep us well, our water, our air, our soil? What can we do to help protect our environment, to protect ultimately ourselves and our children's future? Well, I think the most important aspect of protecting children from harm and our families is communication, is sharing with each other what we know and what we don't know, and then what we want to figure out. And so if you find yourself in a situation where you don't really know if something is wrong, you need to seek out guidance from multiple sources and then ask your elected leaders and such to get the answer. Because that's one of the strengths of our society is that we empower people to act in our interests. And then we need to, you know, engage them and expect of them to do so when we have questions. Well, with that, I think we should close. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn. 
for KOPN in Columbia, Missouri. But most of all, I want to thank my guest, Dr. Andrew Welton. He is a professor of civil engineering and environmental and ecological engineering at Purdue University, working nationwide to make sure we are safe following environmental disasters. Thank you so much for your work and your time with me today. Thanks for having me.